let's, let's go to God and let's pray. Father, we, we come to you again, right now, asking that we would hear from you. That your spirit would do a work in our hearts through this word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a painful experience. Wanting change for someone you love more than they want it. Another painful experience. Knowing that you need to change yourself. Wanting you, yourself, to change. But feeling unable to do so. I think whether it's others that we love or ourselves, oftentimes we just wish we could spiritually zap ourselves and just make a change, right? New heart, new mind, here we go. And we think if we were God, that's what we would do. But we can't do that. We are not God. He is. God can do that. And in our passage tonight, it's like he's put a big red button for the Christian to push. You know that that big red button that normally you would look at and it's like, do not push this button. This is one that's sort of put there in the Bible for the Christian to push and initiate this process of change. So, do you want to grow as a Christian? Do you want to be more content and happy in God? Do you want to bless others and help them grow spiritually? Push the big red button. And if you want to know what this is, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9. But the context is important, so... uh, We'll back up and read what we did this morning, beginning in verse 6. Paul is writing to the church about the collection he intends to come uh, get from them in order to help out the church in Jerusalem who is suffering. And he's referenced the generous giving of the impoverished Macedonians. And he's calling these Corinthians to give out of their own wealth. And in verse 6 he says this, The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, Always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, 
They will glorify God for your, your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his incredible, indescribable gift. Again, here's the context. In the letter that we call First Corinthians, Paul has written to that church to say, On the first day of the week, take up a collection for your poor brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. And then when I come, that money will be ready for me to pick up and take back to them in order to bless them. But when Paul comes to visit them, it ends up being a very painful visit because they didn't obey his instruction in 1 Corinthians to put out this immoral brother. And so he leaves very discouraged. There was a falling out between them. And so later he he sends Titus uh, to them to check on them. And Titus returns with good news of their repentance. And so he writes what we call 2 Corinthians and he's asking for proof of their repentance. Proof here that he calls of, of their confession to the gospel. And it's a collection. It's that collection for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. A, a generous gift. Financial gift. This kind of gift that they're going to give is going to be, a, is going to be taken as a token piece of evidence of God's grace in their lives. But that's not all. This token of grace, evidence of grace, proving that they're following Jesus, is also the means by which God will overflow with blessings towards them and help them grow themselves in righteousness and even grow the people they're giving to in righteousness. So... Here's the big red button you need to push. This is the argument Paul's making. The point is this, he says. Invest God's material blessings to get a return in spiritual blessings. That's what we see in the text. That that we would take the grace that's been given to us, that many of us know as Christians... And that we see, Travis referenced it this morning, there's, there's grace already in our lives, blessings that are all around us that we can see. To take those material blessings, invest them in such a way that we would get a return in spiritual blessings, that we would be changed, that those material blessings would overflow and multiply in, in real righteousness. So, Look at verses 8 and 9 again, and after some explanation, we'll try and make some applications. Verse 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, again, based on the context, Paul's talking about money. We could apply this more broadly in other ways that we can take material gifts or things in our lives, give them, invest them in spiritual ways. But we're going to stick with giving money because that's the context of every grace here. Every grace will overflow to you. Grace is, is, is the relative abundance of blessing on their life in their general material wealth. Corinth was a, a wealthy place. And he's saying, having everything you need, meaning enough. God is able to give you everything you need. 
And this word for enough is sometimes used, at least in Paul's day, from an, to, to speak about someone's independence. Like, I don't need anything. I don't need your help. It's, it's a proud position, normally. Like, self-sufficiency is the way people would normally use this word. Paul's using it differently. Paul's not talking about self-sufficiency here in verse 8, saying that God is able to give you everything you need. He's talking about God-sufficiency. So what's overflowing here is not more material blessing. It might be that in some sense, because if that's what you need, God is able to give it to you. But he's just saying, by your giving, God is able to give you everything you need. You have God-sufficiency. And this is important when you compare it to the Macedonians back in chapter 8, verse, verses 1 through 5, because Paul's saying that their, the, the grace of God in their lives is that they basically had nothing materially. And yet, out of their poverty, they gave generously. And so he, Paul is saying to these wealthy Corinthians, okay, the grace that you now already have in these material blessings, since they were able to do that, you should be able to give bountifully. And even with that, God is able to overflow back bountifully so that you can be equipped for every good work. That you can, be ex- that you can excel in every good work. In other words, he's saying, not only can you guys prove that your confession of faith is real, but you can grow. You can excel in this faith. You can demonstrate it by this gift, but it's actually gonna, the gift is actually going to be multiplied by God. And what's interesting about this is he grounds his reasoning here in Psalm 112. And this is one of those times where I think it's actually useful to go back to Psalm 112 with me. So hold your finger in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 9, and turn to Psalm 112. And before you start reading Psalm 112... I want you to ask the question, who is he that Paul's referring to in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians? He distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Look at Psalm 112. Your Bible probably has a heading, the traits of the righteous, or something along those lines. Look at verse 1. Hallelujah. Happy is the person who fears the Lord, taking great delight in his commands. His descendants will be powerful in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Good will come to the one who lends generously and conducts his business fairly. He will never be shaken. The righteous one will be remembered forever. He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. His heart is assured. He will not fear. In the end, he will look in triumph over his, on his foes. He distributes freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. Paul is grounding this principle that God is able to make every grace overflow to the one who sows generously in Psalm 112, which is about the righteous person. So this verse 9, as it is written, he is distributed freely, he gave to the poor. It's not God giving to the poor. It's not God distributing freely. He's saying it's that kind of person that's able to do all that. 
because of what God is doing in their life. The righteous person is able to do this. So Paul's saying that this grace that they've experienced of material abundance is able to overflow to them so that in every way, having everything they need always, they may excel in righteousness. He's connecting God's grace to us in the surf, on the surface, things you can see in your life all around you, like money. And he's saying God is sufficient for every need so, so that if you take those things that you think you need and just give them, he can make it so that it returns in your life for every good work, spiritual growth, righteousness. I mean, he's taking this beyond material blessing to spiritual blessing. So, not, so God not only provides the seed, but a bountiful harvest. In this case, it's a harvest of righteousness, verse 10. Or verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God. Or verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. You see the connections? Material to spiritual every time. Verse 13, because of the proof provided by this ministry, your giving, they will glorify God for your obedient confession to the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone. And verse 14, as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Because, because of what they're giving. So verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. In other words, Paul gets to the end of this, this, what we reap generously. And he's saying, it is righteousness, righteousness, righteousness in every way. God glorifying praise. God glorifying thanks. God glorifying affection. Praise God for this indescribable gift. It's better than money. It's better than what you give away. So, if you actually want to push this button, and to be clear, what I'm saying is to push the button is really to take the material blessings that God has given you in this life and not hang on to them tightly and say, okay, this is the treasure. But it's actually to say, okay, God, I want to sow your blessings that you've given me. You've given me the seed. I'm going to sow it. So I can reap righteousness. That's hard to do. Because most of us get these seeds of, of grace in our life, like money or other material possessions that God has put in our lives. And we go, okay, that, that I want to keep. That's my harvest. And God's saying, no, distribute it. So if you want to do that, which is not easy, here's some quick apps, applications. <laughs> if you want to... If you want God to work in you and others, right, you need to learn what it means to be God-sufficient. Not self-sufficient, not looking around at your bank account, not looking around at the things that you have and how stable you are, but to look at God. Paul's whole point here is that God provides for his people and his provision is enough. He is the great giver from beginning to the end. And in Corinth... That meant they were wealthy. In Macedonia, they were poor. In Jerusalem, they were poor. But God was providing for all of them. He gives the seed. He gives the harvest. So whatever he's given you, be generous with it. And you will grow. God uses that. 
If you sow earthly treasure, you reap a heavenly harvest. You'll grow. Isn't that great? It's like one thing we can do where it seems like it should be somewhat automatic. You know, every Sunday we pass the offering plate around. You're like, oh, great. Here's an opportunity to grow. And it's true because of what Jesus said. He said, wherever our treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we take the treasure of this world, things like money, and we just give it to kingdom work, guess where our hearts go? Kingdom. That's what we live for. Negatively, he says, be, be aware about the desire for riches because that will choke out the word. That's one of the reasons where the seed sprouts up quickly and dies. Why? Because that person desired riches and the cares of this world choked the word out of their life. So, don't let your heart do that. I, I, just from a pastoral standpoint, I, I think one of the reasons I see most people don't grow is because they're too much concerned about what's going on in their life. From a material or practical standpoint, it's, it's work, it's a relationship, it's, it's things, it's what they want to have. So, don't have a tight grip on this world. Be generous. That's the first way. Don't be afraid to be generous. Um, Second way, if you want, or just be God-sufficient, and you can be generous because of that. But if you want uh, God to work in you and others, the second thing you, you can do to push the button is you need to learn to appreciate God's grace so that you can be generous. Right? If you want to be generous, and you do, because it's more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, generally speaking, generous people are happy. You, you need to know how much you've been given, especially in light of how much what you deserve. I mean, this is what Paul does in the previous chapter. He, he, he goes to the gospel, and he says, look at Jesus the one who had the glory of heaven. He was rich beyond our imagination, and yet he became poor for our sakes. I mean, Jesus did what Paul's encouraging us to do. He, he took what he had, gave it all up, in order that we might be enriched by it, blessed by it, right, in righteousness. And what? God gave it all to him in return. He gets the kingdom and a bride. And we didn't deserve it. And yet we get God out of this. You've been given God when you deserved hell. You can look around you right now and see the blessings that you have. I mean, literally, I've said this before, but it's just true. Anything less than hell right now is dancing for Christian. I know a lot of us are going through hard times. We've been through hard times. Hard times are ahead of us. But we are dancing in comparison to what we deserve right now. And that's true for anyone who's willing to just turn away from their sin and put their trust in Jesus. You can have God. So meditate on that gospel and learn to say, okay, yeah, I don't need this. I'd rather bless others. I'd rather get more of God. Be generous because you understand God's grace to you. And if you need a reminder of God's grace, join a a healthy church and just confess your sin early to people and often. Because one of the ways you're going to be reminded of God's grace is by experiencing it through others. When you, when you kind of say, share that shameful thing, and then you have a brother or sister look back at you and they love you still, ah, oh, the gospel comes alive, doesn't it? 
that's just a tangible experience of God's grace, that will help you be generous. Okay, third thing, if you, third and final thing, if you want to press the button, if you want God to work in you and others, then you need to invest in righteousness more than earthly treasures. And you can do that because God has promised to provide for every need. But the harvest, we have to remember, isn't an abundance of wealth, but of righteousness. Train your heart for that. You know, this is more exciting than, than investing in a company that you know is going to double your return. It's, it's greater than a 10x investment. As exciting as that would be, if someone said, hey, look, this, this stock, it's about to 10x. I mean, you'd probably be like, all right, we're going all in, right? If you knew that was going to happen. And that would be exciting. But no one can promise you that. And yet God, on the other hand, promises an investment that will overflow with abundance in every way. Jesus actually puts a number on it. He says, you won't, receive, you won't fail to receive 100x more, 100 times. This, this investment you make for me and my kingdom, it's going to 100 fold. He says that. Guys, <laughs> go in. Go all in. We must believe that God's commands are, are good for our soul. And we want to train our minds to long for and desire obedience. We want to desire spiritual growth. We want to desire a harvest of righteousness because it's a hundred times better than whatever that material blessing is that we have. So we give. In fact, think about why we give reluctantly. Think about why we often are holding back. It's because we're afraid that we're losing something. That somehow in this ask or what this Christian needs, God is being a kind of taker at this moment. He's keeping something that I want from me. We don't see him as a giver. We see him as this stingy God. But Paul's trying to help us see the very opposite. We, we don't have to give reluctantly. We can so generously because God is a giver. He is, he is a giver. He has given up his own son for us. How can he not also graciously give us all things? He is not a stingy God. He is glorified all the more when we get even more joy in him. So, to conclude here, Paul's not telling us to give in order to get rich. He's not saying do something spiritual in order to get something physical, like more, like better health and wealth. That's the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, give spiritually, do something spiritually, do a good, be a good Christian, have faith, and you'll get sp- physical, material blessings. This is the opposite. He's telling us to do something physical, give material blessings in order to get spiritual rewards. So, give generously and cheerfully, Because God is all-powerful in his ability to make every grace overflow to you from him so that in every way you will have everything you need to excel in every good work. You can grow. If you tap into his grace, you'll find more grace. So you push these little buttons of grace by, by taking those material blessings and giving them. And you get more grace. So you want to grow? You want others to change? Be like God. Be a giver. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the great giver. 
and that your blessings towards us just keep coming. As we thought about this morning, you have turned your face towards us in Christ. And in him, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And so, God, may we be faithful to just live out of that grace and give. Give our money, give our time, give our service, but to be givers so that we might know more of your grace and be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.